so welcome at the Hirschhorn Museum. And we are here for a very special event, uh, an incredible conversation we'll be witnessing between Germanos Celand and Paul Schimmel. My name is Milena Kalinowska, and I'm director of public programs and education here at the Hirschhorn Museum. So this evening we are delighted to have Germano Celand and Paul Schimmel to discuss life and art of Salvatore Scarpita, the focus of our current exhibition. Salvatore Scarpita Traveler. An expert in the field of modern Italian art, Germano Celant curated the 2012 Scarpita retrospective in Turin. Paul Schimmel included Scarpita's work in Destroy the Picture, Painting the Void, 1949 to 1962, at Mocha, Los Angeles. Both were friends of the artist, and we are thrilled to have them here for the special program, which will be moderated by Melissa Ho, curator of the superbly conceived exhibition. I would like to welcome Melissa Chu, the new director of the Hirschhorn. She is tonight with us. And I'd like to also thank those who helped to make this program possible. Alex Bendixson, Adult Program and Education Coordinator, for organizing this evening event, and Melissa Ho, Curator of Salvatore Scarpita Traveler, for her support and guidance. I also would like to make a few acknowledgments. I'd like to acknowledge special support provided for this evening by the Italian cultural attaché, Renato Miraco. Salvatore Scarpita Traveler exhibition is made possible in part by the generous support of the estate of Frank B. Gettings in memory of Nancy Kirkpatrick and Frank Gettings, C.P. Belair, the Holinia Trust, and the Hirschhorn Exhibition Fund. The exhibition brochure is generously underwritten by Christine and Howard Johnson and the Italian Cultural Institute on the occasion of Italy's presidency of the Council of the European Union from July 1st through December 31, 2014. And now introduction to our speakers. Germano Celant is renowned art historian and theoretician, internationally acknowledged for his theories on arte povera. He has served as the curator of hundreds of exhibitions worldwide and published more than 100 books and catalogues. The director of the Prada Foundation since 1995, Celant is also the curator of Fantasione Aldo Rossi in Milan and curator of the Fantasione Emilio Anna Bianca Vedova in Venice. He was formerly the senior curator of contemporary art at the Guggenheim Museum in New York from 1989 to 2008 and the curator of the 47th Venice Biennale in 1997. Paul Schimmel is a vice president and partner at the International Contemporary Art Gallery, Hauser & Wirth, whose much anticipated Los Angeles venue, Hauser, Wirth & Schimmel, is slated to open in 2015. Schimmel most recently served as chief curator of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles from 1990 to 2012. Prior to that, he served as chief curator of the Newport Harbor Art Museum in Newport Beach, as well as curator and senior curator of Contemporary Art Museum in Houston. 
Schimmel has organized major one-person exhibition retrospectives for artists such as Chris Burden, William de Kooning, and Robert Rauschenberg, and several significant thematic exhibitions such as Helter Skelter, LA Art in the 1990s, Out of Action Between Performance and the Object, and Under the Big Black Sun, California, Art 1974 to 1981. The moderator of this discussion uh, is going to be this evening Melissa Ho, curator of Salvatore Scarpita Traveler. She's trained both as an art historian and artist. She is degrees in art history from Princeton University and the University of Pennsylvania and did graduate work in fine arts in Carnegie Mellon University. While at the Hezon, she has organized the exhibition Out of the Ordinary, Barbara Kruger, Belief and Doubt, and co-organized Dark Matters, Selection from the Collection, and the upcoming At the Hub of Things, The New Views of the Collection. Please help me to welcome our speakers. Thanks, Melina. It's really an honor and a huge pleasure to have two such extraordinarily accomplished curators and art historians with us tonight. So first I want to thank you, Germano and Paul, for joining us. We're here, of course, to talk about Salvatore Scarpita, an enormously complex and unique figure, someone whose life and art spanned a vast territory from Los Angeles to Rome to New York and central Pennsylvania, and also from a start as an academic trained painter to an abstract painter to making shaped and wrapped canvases, creating race cars, sleds, and eventually participating in the world of sprint car racing. So I wanted to start the conversation by tackling that subject head-on, namely the sheer variety of Scarpita's work, because I think that that has often confounded observers. You each knew Scarpita, you each have been involved in creating retrospectives of Scarpita, could you talk about the relationship between the parts and the whole, and uh, are there lines of continuity that run through the different bodies of work that perhaps are not immediately evident to a casual viewer? I, um, I, I, I kind of regret, as I was going through the exhibition earlier with you, uh, that I kept thinking about Salvatore and how he um, would animate everything. And it makes me think maybe Salvatore didn't actually use enough new media and uh, enough, uh, in a sense, performance. And in some ways, if he had been kind of born, you know, 20 years later, uh, uh, I guess he would have lost all the experiences that made him who he was. But I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about uh, Salvatore is that uh, um, I, I, I think the the limitations of being a sculptor, uh, uh, a painter, a sculptor, 
became so apparent when the thing he really loved the most was that Leo Castelli was like backing the, a race car team, you know, it was like that, that it had that, that kind of, you know, it was, like, it was like the end game, all these objects just, which he loved and he loved their making, but they'd all been sort of pushed aside for something, you know, something much more dynamic and energetic. And, and that was who this man was, was filled with kind of noise and life and energy and experience. And, uh, you know, he'd probably be um, even more appre appreciative of new technology. I think there's a kind of... A historical meaning uh, in his way of working because he started with the object, you know, with the painting. And actually there is a reference to an artist like Alberto Burri in Rome about the material. So it was a generation trying to get out of the painting, trying to get out of the situation of painting in a traditional way, especially uh, in the, uh, the post-war period, there was a huge fight between, you know, a formalist group and a realist group. That was 1949, 1956, 57. And so the idea, you, know, you have Gattuso from one part, and the abstract people from the other. But there's still the generation of, uh, the generation looking to Picasso or looking to Mondrian. So Salvatore tried, as and people like Castellani, Manzoni, to get an object by itself that was not representing all the objective abstraction or reality, not the gestural of the action painting. So there was something that they were trying to be against, against the idea of tradition and against the idea of Fontana, Pollock, and so on, because they thought that this kind of heroism of the gesture, this kind of uh, um, irrationality has to go, has to disappear, go to kind of, it's the time of zero group, the kind of situation when the personality gets out and become an identity by itself. If you think about Manzoni doing the blood as artwork, the artist shit, or Yves Klein, you know, doing the traces with the body. So Salvatore was exactly starting at this point with the object there, there and at the entrance of the show, not the sled. So he was trying to do something that was a thing in itself but with life. The first piece that is in the show, it's a very interesting piece, the history of the piece, has two, two moments. One moment, he took it, he did it, and then he called it back and did something else. Correct? Is the, the entrance of the show. Which means for this generation, the object and life, they start to get together. There's a story about Mario Mertz, which is the same generation of Scarpita, that uh, he was doing painting, traditional painting, and, and they went to a collector. And then he said, can I borrow it back? And, uh, and, uh, and the collector said, for sure, you know, take it. And then after 
a month or two, he returned a painting, but it was totally different. He painted over. And the guy said, oh, what is going on? Yes, painting has a life. So has to continue. So it's this kind of idea of life, action, but also the object, so they run a little bit parallel. So you can see in his work there is the passion for the object, the belt, the physicality, the heaviness, but also the adventure of, of, of the body, which is for him was the car, the racing car. And so you have two different things. There's lead also, but it's a generation thinking about risk, about the danger, about speed, which naturally go back to futurism. He's an Italian artist, and the memory of futurism is still there. The speed of the car, you know, the situation of changing, and so on. And it was very advanced when he did the first car, because the same moment uh, an artist like Pino Pascali, the Italian, did also canons. So he, he was very uh, in this moment of objects, but life and objects of life, which are the, the racing car and the sleds. To follow up on um, bringing up Italy, um, Scarpita was born in the United States, of course, but he spent his early career in Italy. He moved to Rome as a teenager to study art. He ended up remaining in that country for more than 20 years, and it's because of that history that even today he's more well-known and recognized there than in the United States. Could either of you talk about the difference in the reception of his work, either the earlier work or the later work between the two countries? Is he seen differently in the two places? And if so, how would you characterize that difference or explain it? Salvatore was represented by the most distinguished dealer in the world, uh, Leo Castelli. As I said earlier, he was so proud of being with the race car team, as Leo's team. But um, when an artist is one among so many stars, he always felt that, you know, he, along with, let's say, Lee Montague, and there's very interesting overlaps. They were both in Rome at the same time. Actually, Leo was trying to get Burry to jump ship from, from his gallery, from Martha Jackson, to go with Leo. And Leo said, you know, you should be looking at these younger people like uh, Scarpita and uh, Lee Montague. Lee Montague had come from sculpture into painting, and Salvatore, sort of the reverse, but there was really interesting kind of crossover. And neither of them really had a great uh, following. Uh, yes, there was a lot of interest and excitement, but the work ended up going off into directions that people never sort of, uh, uh, um, sort of gelled. In some ways, the great challenge of that whole second generation after uh, de Kooning and, and Pollock was was so so wrapped up with Johns and, and Rauschenberg in the same same gallery that it was kind of hard to see where these other artists who made rather extraordinary contributions uh, um, fit in in terms of really the 
extraordinary things that had 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 hit exactly at the same time. I mean, well, you know, the first shows of Johns and Rauschenberg are hitting exactly the same time, and to a large degree, that a lot of confusion about. First of all, what's happening in Europe across the board? Italy certainly uh, was not a, a subject of any kind of understanding in terms of what was going on in New York at the time. And then this complete sort of uh, uh, misunderstanding of of the relationship of the cars to pop art, which to a large degree continues, and it, it had, you know, it had very little to do with, you know, the kind of, uh, of um, uh, sort of cool irony and mechanical qualities of pop art. This was this was this was emotion and life and love and a very kind of, you know, this was animism. This was like man is car, car is man. It was it was a, and so it was like didn't really fit in. Um, the works continued to have great and compelling supporters, but it was not and continues to this day uh, uh, anything that's ever really. Uh, I mean, it, it, there have been people throughout who, but it's never it's never really uh, been uh, written into the history. I think again, sorry, I'm kind of doing some history too. Uh, when uh, you know there was a moment in history, 1957, then when uh, let's say the American collector till 1957 collect only European art. Kind of, you know, there was no collection, no attention to American art. And 1957, because of the development, economic development of America, the identity, you know, it's a, you know, it's a kind of historical moment of taking more, uh, be proud to be American, to, you know, to enforce the power, blah, blah, blah. All the situation kind of had the shift. European art was not considered, was considered still by collectors because they were not buying American art at all. But it was the moment when there was a kind of political decision that culture was an important meaning for information, communication, and so on. And it's not the case that the moment the gallery start to appear. Leo, Virginia Duan, all these people start to uh, expose American art Till 1964 was the prize at the Biennale of Venice of Robert Rauschenberg. And that was the end of European art. Was European art was not shown anymore. Just the gallery stopped. This period, 1957-1968, which is the, the moment of Salvatore, the American dealers, they were trying to establish, but also the culture, what you call a logo, a kind of mark. And the art has to be marked, has to be identified by one language. You are the fluorescent light artist. You are the icon artist. You, are, you have to be identified because the market need be recognized, you mean to, you know, Andy Warhol or, in fact, when Leo 
uh, I, I got Liechtenstein because he was doing cartoons, refused and you all because he was doing cartoons at the same time. So because the logo cannot be the same. You don't have, you cannot have in your stable the same thing because the product has to be identified. Which means that Leo and Liana, they were the real kind of kingmakers, were asking to the artists, the real, to, not to change, to do products that were identifiable. European art, because there was no market, <laughs> were trying to do ideas. One is Pistoletto or, or Salvatore. So the idea of shifting from one subject to the other make you, you are not coherent. You are not, you know, you are not recognizable. You know, you go in this painting and then you do a car. Right, I mean, making those cars in the 60s was a huge Was a huge moment, yeah. yeah. So, in a certain way, you break the role of the market. Not only the request was, and for, for Salvatore it was okay to come and live in New York, otherwise you will not be recognized. To be European, if you don't come to New York, you're not part of our operation. So the idea to be incoherent, which for us is very important for my generation, for our generation, the idea of changing. Hmm? The best compliment that in 1965-64, you know, there was a show World, there was a show Rauschenberg, you know, we were in, let's say, the generation of Pistoletto, Mertz, and so on. The best compliment, you go in a show, one-person show, and you think it's a group show. And that's Salvatore. That's the most important part. That you, you, because it has to do with changing mentality, going against products, and so on, so on. So that's why the market never was. Leo was a friend, so he was supporting as a passion for 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 uh, Salvatore. In fact, you know, when we did the show in Venice, 1972, was done by an Italian dealer. So it was support of something that was unusual. But the American market in the 60s, and 64, 66, you have to be the cube guy, you have to be the structure guy, you know, the white one, Ryman. No, that's, that was the moment. And he had no signature. There is no, yeah, there was, you have to have a style. These people, they don't want to have a style. And he, he said one of the reasons why he embraced car racing was that it's about constant renewal. And that's what made it art, was that it's a, it's a, the, the race car eats itself up in its function of driving forward. And that was an art experience. So this image on the screen is um, this presentation you just referenced in 1972 of the race cars being shown for the first time in Italy. And he had not been in the country in a number of years. And I'm curious because earlier, Paul, you referenced the misapprehension of the cars as pop when they were shown in the mid-60s in the U.S. And I was really surprised going back and reading some of the reviews from that period where they're de derided as impersonal, mechanistic, functional, not deeply felt when in fact they were the most sort of personal, deeply felt works for him. 
when these were shown in Italy, Germano, what was the reaction since the last time he had been in the country, he'd been doing something completely different? From what you just said, was there a different attitude to the fact When we that did the show, so you know, in the square of, uh, you know, San Marco, and uh, well, I, I was part of uh, a continuous, yeah, that's me and <laughs> Salvatore Germano. a long time ago. <laughs> still there. <laughs> the belly is not. But <laughs> anyway, the, the reaction, in a certain way, if I can compare, is the same uh, situation. New York was the center. So think about keynotes. The removal of keynotes, you know, was never accepted. You know, that this kind of uh, compromise with life. Hmm? Uh, the idea was was not a work of art. They were functioning. Uh, they were done by you know. There's also this handmade process that nobody wants to recognize, but they are you know, done by people, you know, like like a sculpture. So that's always this New York situation that's been the center. Why a lot of this kind of operation, especially in Los Angeles. I'm sure Paul knows more than me. I even bought a couple of Los Angeles pictures along just, just so we wouldn't think this was all Italian affair. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. I'm convinced that Los Angeles is so much in the roots of not only the, the, obviously Rancho Jack and the Southwest was the inspiration for the cars, but the kind of shenanigans <laughs> that the kind of shenanigans that characterized uh, the showmanship. I mean, I'm sure part of the beauty of this was the location. I mean, Salvatore must have just been going nuts to it's see them on the plaza there. The Japanese jacket, you know, just look at Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's like a Gutai artist meets, no, no, complete, complete, like, uh, yeah, a total showman. Um, well, I wanted to ask about Los Angeles, which is where Scarpita grew up. And after his time in Italy, when he returned to the U.S., he never lived in California again at that point, preferring New York. But I agree with you, Paul, that his childhood in California, I think, profoundly informed his art. Um, You're going to pull up that? Yeah. So this is a photograph of him at age uh, 13 getting out of trouble. I think uh, he had climbed up a tree to avoid, as he put it, getting, be you know, getting beaten. And uh, after being up there for about five or six hours, a, a news reporter came along and said, well, kid, what are you doing up there? And he goes, I'm tree sitting. And... <laughs> <laughs> and yes, he ended up staying 34 days. Really, he stayed up there until there weren't any more articles in the LA Times. As soon as they stopped writing, he came down. And you know, I've done the math a little bit. Uh, he was very young when he got sent to Italy. I mean, he was still yeah. I mean, he was still a teenager. Yes. I, I get the feeling, knowing Salvatore, that he was kind of a handful. And, uh, and you know, it was like. Let's send Salvatore off to the old country and see what they could do to get him a little yeah. bit back onto the straight and narrow. And, <laughs> and, and, and I suspect, in some ways, the whole family was... Uh, here you have the, the next picture. So this is his, uh, his father looking at uh, uh, 
Uh, uh, who is it? It's the, is it uh, uh, Marlena Dietrich. Marlena Dietrich. Uh, uh, it's a model of Marlena Dietrich. Uh, his father was quite uh, uh, successful um, and, in fact, uh, was so well-renowned that uh, during the period when uh, Salvatore was growing up in Los Angeles, uh, he got the commission to do the bust of Mussolini, which uh, went to Rome and also was here in the Washington, D.C. at the Italian Embassy. So, uh, you know, th th think about uh, the politics of this rather angry young man, mind you. Ray Joe Jack and the, the embrace of the working class. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is not corporate racing. This is street, this is track racing. These are people who didn't get access to anything. And they, in a sense, him making heroes out of, out of in a way, street culture was something very uh, important. But yeah, there's a picture of him, the other competition he had in his, his life, his, his beautiful sister. Who was, you know, a superstar and uh, showed with uh, in Fellini films. A favorite of uh, Fellini. Uh, and, and so he, I think he was always kind of saw his art in the context of a, a much sort of uh, broader cultural reckoning. You know, the Italian American thing is a really interesting thing. I, I was once doing an interview with Yoko Ono and I, I was surprised she, it was her expression, but she said, you know, when she was in San Francisco as a kid, teenager, people said she smelt like soy sauce. And when she was kind of abused for that, and that when she was in back in, in Japan, they said, oh, you smell like milk. <laughs> and, you know, I think for Salvatore, I don't know, I don't think he was, I mean, I think there's as much a California in him as anything, but I, I think, you know, he, he was an Italian for the New Yorkers, and for New York, he was, I mean, I, I, I think he was, he was a little bit in a way, Without a, a, a real home, and 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 and, and you can you can see, you know, he, he gets he 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 comes to this country at the invitation of Leo, with something that's very tied to to Italian contemporary Italian art. I mean, it's really it's Burry, it's Fontana, it's Man he, he's he's working through all of all of that, and and then the next thing you know. He's celebrating his childhood in California, and you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, where did that come from? He was displaced in that respect. He was quite happy in Maryland. <laughs> uh, yes, I think uh, you're right because my connection with Salvatore Nature was being Italian, but also this kind of, you know, in the 60, 69, 68, you know. You feel this soya things. We were Mr. Spaghetti <laughs> in New York. That's true. You feel that. You feel the refusal. You feel, you know, this kind of barrier. And uh, you know, I remember the shock of reading uh, Donald Judd say European art is decorative. It doesn't exist. You know, just 
you arrive in a country and you know there's this kind of situation where I'm a street kid too. You know, I survived playing billiard. I did all these kind of possible jobs, and you know, so we communicate very easily because you know he was a little bit older than me. But the idea of to be a street kid is a very important part yeah. because you want to survive. You want to make it in a country, and uh, naturally, you know, you have a whole story behind you, which is 2,000 years old. And you're coming to a country which is totally new, and they start to discuss. Instead, you know, you, if you look at the car as a result of a handmade uh, chariot in the history, you know, we have so much. So it's not only the car. It's only the idea to be an artisan, somebody who works with your hand and, uh, and do something. And that is not the case that in the same year, Pino Pascali was doing the water, the cannon. So it was not pop. It was, uh, it was a childish reconstruction. You know, uh, uh, Art de Pover, which he's not, but in many respects, same generation as you pointed out, were so anti-pop because they oh, yeah. really wanted to bring politics. I mean, yeah. Art de Pover was, I don't need to tell you, but it was it was far more uh, aggressively clear about the, the political content. And, it was, and in that respect, I think uh, uh, Salvatore's fascination with Radio Jack was by far was like the that's the breakthrough piece. That's the hero who he the is, 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 is. Is this this isn't somebody he knew. This was a, a 20s dirt track race car from Los Angeles. But he was looking back in a way in his own her history and finding something that he related to as a child, loved the tracks and all of that, but also in relationship to what was going on in 1964 in America with the protest movements and, and and the kinds of changes that were taking place. And, and I think of his work as being really political in that respect. And I should we should back up and explain what Ray Joe Jack is. Ray Joe Jack was the first race car that he made. And um, what I'm showing on the screen right now is a reference to Los Angeles. This is the Legion Ascot Speedway, which was the racetrack that was near where he grew up in Los Angeles. This is where he was introduced to racing. This is actual racing from the period. And Ray Joe Jack was an African-American driver. He was a sort of a pioneering African-American driver and there were circuits where he was not allowed to compete. Exactly. And so for Scarpita, this was, as you point out, in the mid-60s, doing this homage to this long-forgotten um, competitor was, um, I, I think you're not the, the first to sort of interpret it as a, as a political work. And I, wa I wanted to bring this up because so many people that I have spoken to who knew Scarpita have commented on his political outspokenness. And you can certainly look back in the work, the paintings of the 40s, there are direct works of homage or protest um, 
involving you know figures like Paul Robeson and the Rosenbergs, um, and after that it becomes less direct. And I just wonder if I don't know either you of you. First bullets, cartridges, and that I must put my body into the painting to heal the wounds of the war. I mean, I mean, you know, Salvatore was never for lack of real dramatic description, but he saw in some ways his work very directly reflecting the scars as a very young man that the war had on him and that he was different than like a Burry who left the wounds sort of tattered and open. And his was to really bang them again to heal them, but it was also a way of, in a way, uh, it had to do obviously with this obsessive quality of sort of strapping and holding and belting and 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 I mean this is this is uh, I don't know what is it when you're when you're first born and they put swaddling swaddling he clearly did not have enough swaddling early in his life because if you look at it swaddling pretty much runs throughout the entire career yes <laughs> the wrapping and that's right and he always liked to have what did he say? More than one woman at a good time was good for him because he needed that to, to move this big boy around. You need more so, than one woman he was to a, push this big baby around. Yeah, he, he was a swaddling sort of uh, guy uh, uh, throughout. But I think, you know, you have again to go to the history of Salvatore being, you know, in Italy after the fascism uh, collapse uh, and being socialist, if not communist. And to be communist, you know, for America was really a very heavy word, you know, in the 40s. And, and in fact, the fight with Bury because Bury was a right wing. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, political implication, especially in the painting, but also in the political position. Everybody of my generation are born with this kind of fight between the right and left, because that's part of the past and the present. And we have to consider that Italy has the biggest Communist Party of South of Russia, 13 million people, which is one each, uh, each four were communists of the population. <laughs> so think about it. so the the situation of Salvatore was to continue this kind of political action, also in selecting the poor people that you know they have the possibility to engage themselves to become someone, you know, like uh, the, the the runners and so on. So in a certain or living in a kind of nomadic situation. When you are nomadic, you are alone. You know, the sled represent this kind of surviving in the worst condition of life, which is for poor people is normal. You know, for a socialist, for for any person that has this kind of political knowledge about material, it's not the case that we were against pop because we're representing publicity, advertising, consumerism. Let's say the art of people. Which you were. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, in a certain way, that's what means the sled. You know, it's, it's an adventure in no land, which is a metaphor for his life, too. There's the commonality between the sleds and the cars and the, as you point out, the handcraft of it. And there's also this interesting non-authorship. Um, you know, he's using vernacular forms, vernacular sort of knowledge. He and loves American Indian, you know that too. Yes. 
He had an incredible collection of jewelry. We like a lot. So in a certain way, he was always looking for the outsiders. He was an outsider. He was an outsider in Italy, being American. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the generation of Dorazio or whatever, they, his generation, they, they call him the Americano yeah. in Rome. I heard stories from acquaintances. And what they called him in New York was worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've heard that at different times he was suspected as an American spy, as a CIA informant this in was Italy. <laughs> Who was? <laughs> Who was intelligence service, yes. And then on the other hand, as you say, Paul, I mean, he was mistaken when he came back to the U.S. I mean, he seemed to comment often about how the fellows didn't realize I was American, the other, the New York painters. And it was actually sort of surprising looking at work like this, um, which is incredibly tough and physical. Uh, again, a lot of the reviews would use words like elegant and decorative, and I think the insinuation there was that it was too European. Yeah, too Look, decorative was the way, decorative kill, was yeah. the word, it was the kill, everything European, you just say either, either history, narrative, yeah. or decorative, yeah. boom, dead. It was like, you know, those were the, um, the as a matter language. of fact, that would actually make for a beautiful show about European art in the 60s, is all the, the negative terms that were used by American. But also you can see a lot of Baroque, which is not a negative part. Right. You know, the plead. You know, if you think Santa Teresa, you know, you can think of Bernini. Yes. You know, you can think a lot, you know, relate to Manzoni and him. Yeah. There's you the know, Baroque the, there. Yeah, the Baroque part, which, you know, here for a minimal culture, cannot be Baroque. And there's also the, as you pointed out early, the futurist streak there too, which perhaps... But the future has been here, you know, the history of art, if you think about what happened with, uh, you know, the MoMA, uh, only uh, movement that was recognized was Cubism and actually abstract expressionism because they were not ideological. And the other one were ideological, suprematism, constructivism, were the communist part, and the futurism was the fascist part. So if you look at the history of, of interpretation and collection, they are based on ideological things. Cubism was it's a studio work. They never went in the street. The Russian went in the street, the futurists went in the street, so it's a totally different political attitude. Yeah. And then, then the history has been based on that, removal of the street, which makes a lot of you know, meaning. In fact, the car is in the street again. Yes. <laughs> so both of you have brought up um, sort of Sal as a performer, and I wanted to bring up probably his famous or his most favorite um, persona, which is that of Racer. And this is a collage from 1966. Uh, the title in English is Auto Collage. It features a photograph taken by Hans Namath um, of Scarpita in this guise, wearing an old-fashioned leather racer helmet of the kind that the drivers wore back when he was a kid in the 1930s. And I, I saw the contact sheets um, from this shoot, and it was so evident that he was eager to play this role sort of get in front of the camera oh, and he's in the car and he's sort of acting this role and it was
was very striking. That's why I took the Namus picture yeah. and put it on the back cover of the Cam catalog because it was literally a persona that he was, you know, he was taking on. And when you look at this with all of its sort of expressionist bravura painterliness, what's really interesting about the drawing is the use of branding and the idea mm -hmm. of him yeah. branding himself with these commercial brands and that and that they take on in a way uh, um, a life that they're going to inform him. You really have to think about people like Kunz and Murakami and what's going on today to understand somebody didn't quite know how to do it, but so desperate to put himself into this, into this, into these these logos, these brands. And you can see that again in the Travis race car, which really did come in a way later, and and in some ways I think it's almost like him understanding like what Ashley Bickerton took from him. He t he's going to take from Ashley and, uh, and you no, know, in a good sense, uh, 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 you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I can get all my brands and these are for real brands. These are, these are backers. These are our, this is the team Scarpita. Yeah, no, yeah they, they are real they just, You know, when I visited him in New York, he, the day before, he was trying to, it was a special car with a structure inside. So if you turn, you know, you, you don't, it's a kind of uh, racing car, and he was trying to do in an Hudson Street 135 miles in New York at five in the morning, and he said, "Oh, I got a ticket by the police." I said, "That's what he's doing." They're not in the exhibition, but I wonder um, on this topic of of. of Scarpita's performer. What what do you make of? We have the photographs, the photo stills from um, the video works. Because you mentioned earlier, Paul, you thought if he had been born 20 years later. Yeah, of course he had all of that. Yeah. At his disposal, and you know, I, I remember uh, down in uh, Houston, uh, uh, Harithus loved video, and so he, Jim, was trying to convince him, you know, oh, Sal, you got to do a video. It's like that's that's really the thing you should be doing. Stop screwing around, and, and Sal was not in the least bit interested in that kind of being scripted or narrative. I mean, he was a performer, but he was not a performance artist, not and he and he, he and he didn't like his sister. Did movies and other people did writing. He he he, he did love making these things. And I, he was a child actor. He back was. In the day. I, I, again, I don't think that you know. I I, I honestly think he made all that uh, all these marks and gestures somehow to animate these objects. I think he he did really love the objects themselves. And and uh, no, he could have done it and he didn't. So let's back up a little bit in time and talk about Scarpita's wartime experience. So he had a very unusual um, wartime experience in that he was an American citizen living in Italy during the period leading up to the Second World War and throughout the war. So at various times he was living in internment, living in hiding in the mountains, assisting the Italian resistance, and finally working as a monuments man and um, a translator for the US Navy. Can either of you talk about the relationship between Scarpita's wartime experience and his art? A little of this has come up, and Paul, you mentioned with the, the ripped and healed um, bandaged works. Yes, I think he's, uh, 
I don't know. The beginning, you you want you you want to be a kind of artist, but you want to be, as I said, a socialist artist because of the his position being, you know, with the resistance. You know, he was fighting. So the, in a certain way, the influence, the iconographic influence, is at the beginning. Slowly, I think he, the the bandage and all these kind of things came by the war. You know, by seeing you know people dying or so on. So there are some elements, but it was more. Uh, you know, when he was living in Rome, if it, you know, I spoke with people like Perilli, still alive and so on. He was considered a young guy doing some painting, so he was not. So in, what what's happened is after I think he got in contact with Bury, that was a major in the 50, kind of strong experience. Also, Bury was coming from a realist painting when he was in the camp in America. So I think it was a good example for Scarpita to shift and to start to deal with the material as a language, not anymore as a canvas, a painting, but really the, the strong element, the structure, the wood, the axe, and so on. So uh, I think this moment in of the war, everybody tried to forget because it was a very painful situation. Enemy against each other, so you know, people seeing family, you know, killing between each other after the war because of revenge. So it was very bad, you know, I was a kid, but yeah. I remember this kind of things happening, you know, people coming and, and getting a fascist in front of you, and uh, the mother or somebody is being killed by the fascist. I remember because they say, this is a gun, kill him. So, you know, this kind of drama was after the war was a very powerful thing. So people try to clean up and forget. So I think there's 48, there's a shift. 49, so for him too, you know, in a certain way in the 50, start to be, uh, <coughs> 54, 55, start to be, you know, kind of more orientated out of the of the communist power because you have to consider that the strongest position was Gutuzo, which was a realist painter, and was controlling and job and money and everything because you are communist or so you do no work. Mm. As an artist, there was no collectors. Mm. You know, like yeah. so it was very difficult to survive being an abstract artist. Yeah. And the only way was to become international. In fact, the generation of Scarpita started to show in New York to Afro, Dorazio, and all these kind of people. So they, they create a market mm. that was only controlled by, politically controlled. Mm -hmm. And till, till 68, when, you know, start to, to, to be a little bit more active with, with my generation, Gutuzo was power, was really power. Because you have, you be considered reactionary. So doing abstract art. So think about it for an artist, not so good. Yeah. And what about the work since he came back to America? The works that come back to America, I think, you know, uh, is exactly the same. Uh, you know, Leo and Ileana were, as you know, they were, Ileana opened a gallery because they tried to, to open a gallery in Rome together. 
and looking at there was a moment they want to you know when she married with Michael Sonovan they in the in the 50s they tried to 50 61 62 they tried to open a gallery and they were looking exactly people like Scarpita, Schifano and so on the pop but then you know uh, uh, so Capita was being Italian American was kind of a bridge so he met Leo, so Leo invited him. So in a certain way, he started to do things that were around. It's not a zero group, but you can look, you know, also the kind of monogram, monochromatic image that was around at the time, mm -hmm. that now start to be reevaluated. You know, not only zero, but, uh, you know, object. So, he went to America, and then in '64, actually was very touched by the pop. It's clearly, but with a different attitude. Yeah. Well, the first. Um, this is the first show of the race cars at Leo Castelli, yeah. and you can see, you know, the backdrop he puts there almost looks like an early Lichtenstein. There is a. You can't completely uh, blame. No, 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 no. I defuse that. <laughs> This is a real piece. Yeah. It's an entrance of a garage. Uh -huh. So it's a Dada gesture more. It's not new Dada. It's more bringing reality with you, which is, you can say it's a realist. So it's a, still in the tradition of, let's say, Caravaggio. Caravaggio mm. for us. You're actually right, it's a garage. It's a garage. The difference between this and Ray Joe Jack, <laughs> he has the background from the door and the cars out there. He takes it from the garage and he's and, it, and he's and it's and he's like it's not an art museum show. It's it is it's like you mentioned Keenholz. There is something of Keenholz in, in that idea of just yeah. presenting it, you know That's it, it. this is the situation. That's yeah. you know very very theatrical like a stage set. Yeah. I mean there is a direct line from this is the first one, sixty five, the warehouse show, which was all of the cars gathered together and the real garage door to on the track. Also, the idea of garage, you know, it's, uh, cars is a, is a big symbol, you know, and uh, it represent, you know, there's all this uh, Ferrari, there's a lot of uh, identity problems that he, he, he brought with him. And garage also means a kind of rigid structure that he in a, identified, it's strange that he did a show in a garage with cars. And Cornelis did the garage show with the horses, which makes to go against. Yeah, that's a real door. Real door, real stuff. It was, you know, it was trying to create. Yeah, uh, that, that's a like keynote for me. Yeah. Yeah, Kinotsis. And that's the first one. That's, and this is the first one. It's the only one. one that also obviously doesn't operate. So, <laughs> yeah. so he, he had to create it's a the set most, that brings yeah. it to life yeah. because, because it, was, it, it, did, it had a fake engine. Yeah. Well, it had to fake everything. This is yeah. the one that had the most hand-carved wooden elements. It oh, had found and, object and elements. Like the steering wheel is a movie reel. A movie reel. And, I mean, it's very, you know, it's very clear. The gear shift is a doorknob. The shoes of the kid, this one? No. Which one is the, the, the one with the small shoes of the kids. The lucky... Uh, oh. lucky it yeah. may be. It may very well be. 
Yes. Maybe. But yeah, he always talked about wanting the cars to seem alive, and that's why he didn't want them to be pristine and clean. He left, uh, he talked about rubbing oil, castor oil on them so that the smell, and it was, again, he was evoking his childhood memories of going to the track and first hearing the cars and smelling the cars and seeing the cars run. Um, Paul, you brought some images of um, the tank that. Oh, this is this was this was his, his, his return to Italy. This was this was at the time of your your exhibition. He comes by and he finds out that there's buried a uh, 19 mid 40s Lancia desert tank that uh, somehow had survived coming back from Africa. It had been cut into little plates and he. He spent the better part of two years going back and forth to sort of bringing this, this tank back to life. And when he showed it, at the first time where it was made in Italy, he said, Paul, I had to strap it down. The base, it had nothing. It was all Bondo. I mean, it could, it could not run. Uh, because, but the base was, needed to be contained. And I put a, a red cross and created a, a water barrier for it. And it was sort of like, it was like he created this almost Frankensteinian monster that he, he had like somehow reanimated. He talked about taking all the war out of it, strapping exactly. it down. Strapping it down and yeah. making it. Uh, and here it is in the show at Houston that you that, worked on. That's, that's where, where, you know, it was like, oh, good. And now it's in the showroom. <laughs> you know, LA, I mean, uh, Houston, it's like everything was a showroom. So he put the canopy up of it. He says, he says this thing's not going anywhere. <laughs> so he's like, you know, created, uh, that was... Um, that was a really a beast of it, and it's it, well. It was the last. It was the last car. It's, it's sort of. Yeah. Where, it's where the cars sort got of destroyed. Play no, out. got taken apart. And it got well, it got repatriated by Italy. It was considered back, a part of their history. It's probably going. It's in a also, the product yeah, collection. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was trying to, but. <laughs> It's actually in a collection of um, of technology, yeah. basically. Yeah. And they he had painted it, he had altered the color, they and restored it back it to the authentic color. So it's basically was you know no longer a scarpita. So at this point, I'd love to invite questions from the audience. I was just looking at a picture, a photograph of a construction by Lartigue and his brothers that doesn't have a motor in it, but it was a, um, uh, some sort of pedaling construction. And he was a great, when I look at Sal's cars it, and his idea of speed and racing, it reminds me sometimes of the great photographs Lartigue made of the, the racing and that idea of speed and, and the joy of it. You know, just the anim being animated in the car. And so I just wanted to bring up that kind of strange connection between the photographs of Lartigue and also the very interesting constructions that his brother and he made when they were younger that would float on water and that would fly. Often they didn't fly, they crashed, but he would, he would document each state of their takeoff and the demise. So, 
Yeah, I think there is a lot of reference, yeah, to speed. That's you know the beginning of the century because the arrival of the of the car as the, was compared by Marinetti to the victory of Samotracha, as you, you remember that. And so there was this arrival of uh, train and machinery. So in a certain way, you can think uh, about this reference all over Europe because cinema starting this way with the train arriving the audience and so on. So there's all this idea of energy that is never uh, kind of not moving around and energy always goes. And if you can think about also that these are big toys of a, you know, as an artist. One of the um, uh, things Sal would like to you know, would quote and talk about, and especially related to the to the tank, was he says, "Oh, there were Picasso and Brock right after World War One, sitting in a cafe in Paris, and the tanks are rolling down the streets, and they go, ah." The Cubists won the war. And, uh, <laughs> for Salvatore, that was like a way of explaining <laughs> that sculpture. The Cubists won the war. <laughs> Which is true. The Museum of Modern Art says so. <laughs> it's uh, still the alley who went to war. Other question? There's a period in Sal's work where um, the X comes out quite a lot in the, I guess, late 50s, maybe early 60s, or maybe late 60s, early 70s, right before he starts making sleds. Can you talk about the ex-member body of his work? Was that transitional from the bandage pieces to the sleds, or how do you look at the ex-members? I think it's something that you're quite right comes up again and again, and what I was sort of struggling about, sort of swaddling, there are certain forms that he keeps to come back to, and this idea of these ex-members holding things down, containing them, uh, giving them a sense of security comes up, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's, it, you asked at the beginning, sort of, how, how do you connect all these things together? There are obviously some very sort of interesting formal things that you, you see from the very earliest works of the 50s uh, right to the last of the of the, the bin paintings and using some of the same devices. And, and the X is certainly band, bandages, and, you know. But also trying to, to get some order around uh, this kind of informal moment was trying to sue, to go ahead and not to to follow the gesture of, of Fontana or of Pollux and so on. So the idea of the X is kind of pre-minimal idea, you know, where you can bend the the the, the, paper, the material around it. And there are some pieces that got destroyed or they kind of took it apart that were kind of permutation of position of the same acts because you know as also this idea of changing is part of a, a moment you know that's in the 62 63 there was a lot of attention about uh, the what we call arte programmata which is the, the cinetic element of art mm -hmm. the zero group the idea of movement so the idea of moving the 
piece around it as a mobility, not for his generation, but for a young generation. You have a piece here of Davide Boriani with the, with the movement of the magnet. So it was, it was a part of a discussion why an artwork has to be uh, without movement. And you have the, the short uh, Denise René about called movement. So with the movement idea to permutate was a very important element. So the X was the possibility. In fact, the piece has been changed. So it's, it's the idea of life coming in, but control, because at the time was still the Bauhaus idea. It yeah. is interesting because in these very early, so the two little um, works that you see on the yeah. left and the right, which are um, from 58, I believe, those have the X sort of subterranean. So they, it's a, sort of a structure underneath that's giving more dimension to the wrapping around. And then you're quite right, by the early 60s, he brings it out and he reveals that structure. And there's not those works in the show, though there's one painting in the first gallery called Face Towel Print that started life as a shaped canvas work. Um, yeah, there was a moment of a shaped canvas completely yes. all over Europe. Yeah, and turned it around, put it on a backing with an X on it. And that was from that same moment. There was a boxer who we admired. Uh, he did a portrait of uh, Bernie Perrette, Bunny Perrette, something like that. And uh, he liked boxing, you know, the boy things, the race cars, and he, he liked, he liked again, not fancy boxing, but, you know, sort of the dirt track equivalent of boxing. And, and the boxing ring yeah. became that X of the ring was something, and you see it in a whole series of compositions. So the iconography had to do with something that, you know, was also of, of interest. Yeah, and, and the other, I, I come across that, and the other reference was um, coming back to the U.S. and seeing desolate buildings with X's taped on the windows, sort of a crossing out, shutting out. Yes, during your uh, discussion, I, I heard uh, the, the, the name Caravaggio, and, uh, and then the discussion moved somewhere else. And I was wondering what the link, uh, what the the link, link was. The link is that is the first artist, and for Italian art, or the first artist to bring real life inside, inside the art. Is not anymore representational. Is the the first artist that every contemporary artist refer for bringing uh, action, radicality, you know, illegality, and all these kind of things. Is sensuality, uh, danger. So for the Italian artist, Caravaggio is meat. Is something that is real life. And uh, any generation, from Buri or to, you know, from Buri is the nature, is a costato, you call the, the wand in the, in the Caravaggio, you know, portrait of Christ, or anything has to do with, you know, the material, is a painting which is a material which is sensual and carnal. 
and makes the art potentially not representative only, but materialistic, physical, water, blood, meat, everything. So sex also. The sensuality. It's not a case that, you know, in photography you have Mapplethorpe looking, you know, an SM. So it's for the 60s and the 70s, a point of complete, like you go to Bernini for passion, you know, the Santa Teresa is, nature is a big orgasmic thing. So, you know, you look for things that are sensual in a certain, and you try to overwhelm with the horses. Think about the horses of Caravaggio, and think about the horses of Cunelis, but in life. So he had the gallery, it was a garage, he didn't put inside the, the cars, he had 11 living horses inside and the tension and physicality, the smell, one of the aspects that, you know, that's European art, always the, the, the five senses. That is one of the strong elements to fight against a repressed culture. <laughs> they repress all the senses. Look at the museum. No smell, no sound, no rumor, nothing. You were talking about the smell of the oil from the dirt track, and, uh, and I'm talking about the sound, and it, 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 you're absolutely right, it's, it's, all, it's all the senses. Well, and I have to say that um, a group of us from the Hirshhorn went to Lincoln Speedway to actually, you know, experience sprint car racing, and it was very easy to understand why Sal saw that as art, and it completely engaged all senses. You felt the vibrations through every cell in your body. The noise was overwhelming. The, the the speed, the color, the movement, and it and well, at the the track where we were at Lincoln. Speedway, you can stand in an infield, so it's literally the cars all around you, as if levitating around you, and that's when I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any other qu final questions? I have one other. So there aren't many sled pieces. Um, there's freestanding sled pieces, and then there's a couple where there's sleds um, against a backdrop. And I'm wondering whether those were Scarpita's landscape paintings in a way. Um, because it seems to me that the sleds are positioned um, as if traveling on, on a landscape. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I mean, certainly they are they come out of the seats and the cars contain and, and I mean the, 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 the cars in some ways are figurative but these are the realization of the figure uh, they, they are they are they are as close as he got to the human figure and, and even a um, 
he was quite uh, fascinated with the bin painting relates to the to the sleds but these holes um, he was completely just overwhelmed with the, this he was looking for canvas and he found this canvas that was surplus army used in the hospitals uh, I have no idea whether this is true or not but this is what Sal believed it to be uh, used uh, during uh, births and that the idea uh, that a, a baby would come out through this uh, through this through this hole was you know it was all about the human figure that that, that these, these pieces again Caravaggio <laughs> <laughs> well thank you Paul thank you Germano thank you